0: What is the primary teaching of Hinduism then? That the entire creation is nothing but one single presence expressing as many. Well, having understood that, people of different faiths and people of different belief systems may be there. But as Hindu, I must always accept everybody in spite of differences. Show compassion, love, peace, togetherness and that I must always maintain as my value, whether you believe it or not, whether you want it or not. As Gurudev would say, give love to everybody, splash love on everybody, whether they want it or not, you don't care, you just give. So being a Hindu, being Hindu Thvam means acceptance without any kind of prejudices, acceptance in spite of differences and giving respect, love and compassion and help to everyone irrespective of what their belief system is. That I call it as Hindutva. With that standpoint, when we look at it, we will have no enemies.
1: Welcome to That's So Hindu, the podcast brought to you by the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. In this week's installment of our Swami Speak Series, Suhag Shukla asked Chinmaya Mission Swami Ishvarananda about the role of spiritual teachers in modern society the importance of building Hindu communities and not just temples, and about his inclusive definition of Hindutva. Have a listen. Swami Iswananda is the longtime resident Acharya of Chinmaya Mission, Los Angeles, and also serves Chinmaya Mission Bakersfield in California. Chinmaya Mission was established in 1953 in honor of the world-renowned and revolutionary Hindu spiritual leader, Swami Chinmayananda Saraswati, who reintroduced in English and made accessible the deep and often esoteric teachings of Hinduism to seekers all across India and around the world. Swami Iswara carries the torch of Gurudev in having developed a signature style of communicating hardcore Advaita Vedanta, an ancient non-dualist philosophy, in a way that seamlessly illustrates its applicability to our day-to-day interactions with the modern world. He's also a prolific writer. Just a few years ago, Swamiji hit a slam dunk for the Hindu community when comedian Sarah Silverman brought together five clergy representing Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Judaism, and Hinduism for a game of horse on her show, I Love You America, Swamiji educated the public about Hindu basics, for, as he's been doing for three decades now, and showcased a hidden talent for an outside shot. I've had the blessing of learning so much from Swamiji for over a decade, having first met him in Minnesota, where my family and I attended Chinmay Mission, and he delivered spiritual talks over Skype. His wisdom on stress and mind management, happiness, and finding purpose are always offered with ease, depth, and wit. Swamiji, I'm honored to have you here on That's So Hindu. Welcome. So uh, the first question I have for you are a little bit around Hindu identity. You know, so many of our lectures, whether it's about the Gita or um, any of the Upanishad, uh, the tradition has largely held that it's our identification with the material world that is the cause of ignorance and suffering. and so. To this end, is it important for Hindus to identify as Hindus? Um, If so, why? And if not, why?
0: First of all, let me define what Hindu is. Geographically, those people who lived in a particular given geographical land who did not have, so to say, a religion, they only followed certain principles of life as uh, it is uh, uh, given to them by the uh, traditional teachers who later on composed and compiled it as Vedas. Therefore, the kind of people who are there living with certain principles and values of life and pursuing their own personal emancipation or liberation and that very lifestyle is known as Sanatana Dharma. The literal meaning of Sanatana Dharma is eternal value system, eternal values. I was given to understand that the word Hindu came much later. In fact, you will never find that word in the Vedas, in Bhagavad Gita, in the Upanishads, in Brahma Sutra
1: in Ramayana, in Mahabharata, in Bhagavat, in none of the Puranas. So where is the
0: identity card or the coining the name for Hindu came into picture? It's only when people who have the concepts of God from other parts of the world started to Segregate these people as another set of people having different kinds of belief system. They wanted to identify them as different from themselves. Swami used to say, therefore, Hindus or Hinduism is coined by non Hindus, meaning non to be precise, non Sanatana Dharmis, those who did not believe in the teachings of Vedas or Bhagavad Gita, Upanishads or Hindu, uh, what you call the Vedic wisdom. So they said that these people are different from us and therefore we have to give them an identity and they are coming, in a, coming from a land which is uh, probably near Sindhu. The river Sindh was very well known and they were living in that and having their culture in the banks of Sindh. They originally called them as Hindus, and then later on, it became the Hindus. So, Hindu land, or Hinduism, is none other than an identity given to us by people who did not have the same faith or same uh, recognition for the Vedas. So, now, coming to your question, is that we need to identify ourselves as Hindus or not? Let us identify ourselves as Sanadana Dharmis.
1: Now- we oftentimes get that sort of pushback too, that, you know, you're the Hindu American foundation, you know, why are you taking this term um, that's not ours, as, as you've explained, that was kind of placed upon us, and then, uh, you know, building an identity by building an institution around this term. And our response has been, well, this is the word that now has in some ways stuck right? And oftentimes we see, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but there's oftentimes an effort, whether it's intentional or not, sometimes I think it is, to delineate then between Vedic and Hindu, to say that, well, Vedas are these eternal principles that are pluralistic and open and welcoming, uh, versus Hindus who are closed-minded, insular, tribal, one-eyed. I mean, these are some of the terms that, um, that have been kind of equated with Hindu. And so we've often said, well, yes, the word is not ours, but we're going to now take it because it's stuck and self-defined then and begin defining it. What, what's your response to that?
0: Uh, they mean to say that Hindu word is not necessary for those who are believers of Vedic wisdom which is open to all. Is that what you mean?
1: I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, we can certainly say that Sanatan Dharma in Hinduism is essentially the same. Or is that what you're saying? That Sanatan Dharma in Hinduism is the same. So then if we're going to use our own terminology, might as well stick with what really is the word, which is Sanatan Dharma.
0: Yeah. So nothing wrong in that, but nothing wrong in having another uh, name also. But at the same time, you know, we must recognize that uh, Hindu—I mean, sorry—India as a nation is a multi, was a melting pot, just like America today. People from different parts of the world came to learn from our universities, which were very as well established in the literatures and wisdom, etc especially in Alanda and such other universities, which are uh, very well known at that time. It is even defined in Alanda is where you can learn it stops. Alam means end. Never it ends. So, so much of information about everything was available at that time. Now, so therefore, people from different parts of the world have come in and uh, became part of the, the community there, like what we are today here. Wherein, what happened was that uh, people who believed in the Vedic literature and the teaching in the Upanishad, etc., they had no problem with each other, even though physically they didn't look alike. Some of them are dark, some of them are yellow, some of them are white. The features were maybe, uh, some of them are mangolian features, some of them Dravidian features, some of them are in features. But we had no problem with that because all of them are having same principles and values of life. It doesn't matter what language they spoke. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, um, uh, worship patterns that they have, what uh, mantras they chanted. doesn't matter. So therefore, this uh, collection of people who did not look alike, who did not speak the same language, who did not have similar customs, who did not have the similar lifestyle, the similar eating habits, none of them are the same. But they were together so that is why it became a glorious nation of multiplicity of multicultural multilanguage, multi uh, faith everything was fine so as such if you call the entire group as a community as a hindu absolutely no problem so i do not see any reason uh, why we need to uh, question that itself because hindus are those who are Living together, accepting each other's uh, role in the society, and doing what they are supposed to do in their life, having no differences essentially about uh, their own belief systems, they accepted it.
1: So, so that I have a, a follow up um, that also kind of relates to um, identity, and it and it relates to what you know I think colloquially are called SBNRs the spiritual but not religious. You know, many people in America, we've seen the increasing popularity of yoga with millions, at least practicing asana, but many of them, uh, asana becomes kind of a a doorway to the other deeper and philosophical practices that uh, really speak to mental and spiritual unity. And so a lot of times what happens is that Even though these practices and the philosophy are rooted in Hinduism, those who are either passing it along or those who are incorporating these traditions into their personal practice don't identify as Hindu. So what we see is that many of our ancient practices are no longer identified with Hinduism. Do you see this as a problem, or do you think it's okay as long as people are moving towards the pluralistic ideas espoused in Hinduism, and it's bringing people peace and tranquility, and um, overall, you know, improving their lives?
0: See, if you come to me as a patient, I'm a doctor, I'm a allopathic doctor, and I'm giving you medicine, and you are able to cure yourself to some extent. And then you find a better treatment can be there for you to go for some Ayurvedic treatment. So you go for Ayurveda and then that somehow helps you to become a little more better. Now, should I get upset about that? After all, you are my patient. If my medicine works for you, fine. If something else works for you and you become better, I am going to be happy only i cannot insist that you should ne- you should always have what i say only and you should never go to anybody else in the same way if you look at it in general if people are able to gain peace and joy in their life even though they do not give credit to hinduism to, to one aspect of it is that yes it is not right for them to do so because they are not accepting or recognizing the origin the cause the source which is definitely not right, because they have to recognize that it is coming from a tradition. It is coming from an ancient tradition. Due respect and due acknowledgement should be given to it. But having said this, that is individual's choice. I cannot insist that on them. However, if they are happily able to practice and then come to uh, benefit out of it, I am sure eventually they will. Because they have gained out of it, they will credit the source. Superficially, they may not, but obviously, at one some point of the some time or the other, they will say, "Hey, the source is from Hindu land. The source is from ancient wisdom of the East." And I believe that. I believe that they will do it.
1: I think what I'm hearing then is that ultimately these practices bring you to a state of dharma which rests on the foundation of, of compassion, of truth. So if it's truly assimilated into a person, they're ultimately going to do the right thing, which is crediting the source.
0: Yeah, so definitely. And uh, more important than that is that knowledge can never be sold. It is very, it is sacrilegious. It's a sacrilege to say knowledge is given for in, say, in exchange for money or anything else. Uh, the the wisdom that is given to us from our masters is always free. For the qualified, always there is guidance. We cannot say if you are qualified and pay this much money, the knowledge will be given to you. So what happened? We are putting a tag on that and then it loses its value. Right. So I would say that, you know, this is a valueless wisdom. So anybody and everybody is, uh, is it should benefit out of it and should be available to all. And that is how our, the the entire thing is the whole family is one. So whom do you reject, even if they don't accept it?
1: Yeah, and, and I think in addition to the commercialization of, of these wisdom practices, you know, our tradition, I mean, how, I can't even, can you even count how many hours that you had to study to even, you know, be accepted as, as a student? um, initially as a brahmachari and then so much as a sannyasi. And and I know that I'm sure that your readings continue. Um, you don't get certification after just 200 hours (laughs) (laughs) and we're talking a lifelong, uh, uh, you know, journey of learning. Um, and, and along with learning, there's the experience that comes, um, from the learning. So, um, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the role of spiritual leaders in modern society. You know, in the past, kings sought the advice of religious leaders in enforcing dharma and society. Today, we have elected leaders. We also, in some sense, are CEOs of our families, we're CEOs of maybe a small company or managing a department. What do you see as your role today, as, as a resident of Acharya or as a sannyasi, in guiding any one of us lay Hindus who might have responsibility for others or, or certainly responsibility for ourselves? Is your role one of providing guidance on spiritual satna? Is it more broad and relating to interpersonal issues, professional issues? What are Hindus supposed to do in a secular world for guidance?
0: You are asking whether what I should do or what an individual who is pursuing his professional life should. Should he or she uh, approach the spiritual leaders for guidance? I think
1: it's, it's both ways because, you know, I think, When we look at, say, the Christian framework, a minister is also known as as a pastor or or someone who gives pastoral care. But in the Hindu framework, you know, you have your pujari who is a ritual specialist and may not necessarily be the person that an individual comes to um, for counsel, say if they're having problems in, in their marriage or having challenges they're facing with a teenage child. At least in my experience, what I've seen is many people come to swamis like yourself, but not everyone knows that they can. Is that something that you're comfortable when people do come to you? I I do find it kind of funny and ironic that maybe a married couple (laughs) would come to someone who's taken a vow of, of celibacy to ask for marital advice, but oftentimes I think it's that distance that maybe provides the clarity. To then provide counsel. So, do you see that as your role and how do you approach that?
0: Definitely, it is our role. Um, Swami Chinmayananda never secluded himself from the world. Uh, he always was, was available and uh, he lived. I mean, most of his time when we are studying or giving lectures, he always stayed in houses, he never stayed away from people. And he, he had written numerous letters, thousands and thousands of letters to uh, householders uh, solving their problems and giving them the right advice, etc. So uh, definitely it is part of our role. Uh, but as you said, uh, people go to um, the priest for doing some kind of a ritual, thinking that that will solve the problem. But anger, lust, greed, jealousy cannot be solved by a ritual, unfortunately. It has to be solved by overcoming the impurities, wrong thinking, etc. So, um, yes, you are right that people do not approach us with those issues because, unfortunately, the Hindu society is a very close to society. They don't talk about their problems uh, openly to others, uh, much less to uh, uh, Swami, um, unless they have complete confidence and trust, uh, which are very few in number. Uh, I do have people who come and talk to me uh, and then they take advice from me, but not all of them because I know some kind of a, what do you call it as a, it's a stigma attached to it. If I have a problem, I shouldn't talk to anybody else. And oftentimes we find that such people either become depressed because they can't talk to anybody uh, or they talk to their friends and others and not to the person who can really advise them. So it is necessary for the Hindu uh, believers to take advantage of the available uh, sadhus to uh, to go there and ask them. But say, having said this, unfortunately, many of them, uh, so-called you know, pseudo uh, sadhus who are available today on the net and then TV and whatnot, they are selling it, you know. Uh, consulting for hundred dollars per minute. I mean, I, I feel so bad. This this is not the way to go about. They should, they are servants of God or so to call so called uh, the, the representatives of the, the wisdom. So they have to be available for people and take care of the situation and not to sell it as a product. Which is very unfortunate. And that's why people probably have you know, rejected it in general. You know, these people ask for money if I go there.
1: So yeah. how would, you know, I know Vivek Churamani is a text that talks about not just the ideal student, but the ideal guide or Swami. How How can a lay person distinguish? If you are in the midst of some sort of challenge and, and someone says, oh, go talk to so-and-so, how can one discern? um? Uh, without that foundation of, of, say, you know, having listened to talks or read Vivek Juramani or other texts out there or stories that describe the qualities of a, uh, I hate to use the word authentic, but an experienced maybe guru. How, what would you say, what's, what advice do you have?
0: No, there are varieties of students. Students, just, um, student when you say they are spiritual seekers, And for the spiritual seekers who are looking for uh, moksha or liberation, yes, there are certain qualifications required. It is like, I have a job in hand and uh, I need uh, an engineer for solving that. Then I will look for a qualified person. Um, So uh, a spiritual seeker who is looking for um, nirvana or liberation, then yes, there are certain qualifications. But for yeah, any individual who has either stress and uh, failures in life, who wants to find an answer to get out of his problem and get the spiritual guidance, such a person need not have to have a pre-qualification to come to a guru. He can come and ask about what, how do I go, what, how do I take care of my mind, how do I overcome my problem, not just the problem in the end, but problem in the future as well. So, a true um, saint who has read a lot, thought about it, or he himself or herself, very sure that he would not get attached to the problem, uh, like a doctor who's giving the medicine, not get attached to the patient. Similarly, a sadhu should be able to solve the problem by giving the right advice to that student. So, only for spiritual seeker, yes, there is specific
1: qualifications mentioned. So you you touched upon, you know, depression being a result of not seeking help, not talking about problems. With stress, anxiety, depression, and mental illness um, appearing to be on the rise around the world, obviously Hindus are not immune to this kind of suffering. What do you see as some of the root causes to suffering? Are the root causes different today than they were, say, 20 years ago, before the advent of of maybe social media, which oftentimes is implicated in increasing isolation. And what do you see that Hindu teachings and practices offer to alleviate this kind of suffering, if there is any solution in Hindu traditions?
0: You know, uh, you asked an interesting question. What is the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita? It is Arjuna's suffering the suffering has always been there the causes of suffering may be different at that time and now but suffering continues arjuna's grief arjuna vishada yoga it starts with that and answer is given in the gita itself so the suffering is uh, the suffering has been there depression has been there anxiety was there mental illness and uh, all those things were there in the past also Uh, Nobody, no time, um, uh, human beings were free of all those things. And therefore, the teachings are also eternal. It has always been the same. It is not that for today's illness and suffering, there's a different teaching versus what it was in the past so many thousands of years back. The teaching is always eternal and straightforward. Uh, The way to put that across changes. As Swami Chirvanda used to say, I'm putting the old wine in the new bottles, that's all. It's not that I'm giving anything new. Yes, in today's world, we find that the sources of suffering are increased. As you said, rightly, social media, for example. If you look at a teenager so, so caught up in that world, um, in selfie and then in WhatsApp and this and so many other things, continuously the individual is demanded to pay attention demanded to respond to the world. And therefore, and also, he or she expects these similar uh, reciprocation from people. If I put a picture and nobody even said anything about it, I get depressed. I don't think I am good. I don't think I am wanted in this world. So we have to constantly educate, you know. And Gurudev Swami has always said that unless you build your inner strength, the world becomes the master. So the inner strength that can be built up is by various method, especially when uh, we teach about how to strengthen the mind through correct thinking, um, meditation or contemplation, certain spiritual practices. Uh, And from the very young age, it has to be inculcated. Not suddenly when you... See, it is not like when you have a problem. Usually when we have a problem, we go to a doctor. But a true doctor is one who gives health advice. What to eat, what not to eat. What kind of a lifestyle? How much exercise you have to do? What thing you should avoid in your life? When he or she is able to guide the uh, the patient continuously, the possibility of that person falling sick is less and less. In the same way, there should be constant guidance. Um, that is why we have various uh, things like balvihar and many other things, so that people will have healthy lifestyle and outlook. That of course is always necessary. It was necessary yesterday. It's not necessary a thousand years back. It is necessary today. It will be necessary forever. So there's no change in that.
1: So I'm going to shift gears completely now. <laughs> we we've talked a little bit about um, Hindu identity and some of the challenges that that we face as a community. Um, I guess in some sense this is a challenge, but it's maybe in a different form. So, you know, in our work and amongst the Hindu communities that we come in contact with, there's this overwhelming sense that Hinduism, Hindu practices, traditions, they are held to a hypercritical lens than that um, of other religious traditions. So whether it's representations in the media and the conflation of politics in India and Hindus um, or whether it's the way Hinduism is taught in public education, um, where you oftentimes see a caste cow curry approach um, that predominates the way Hinduism is explained or in academia, where you see a fixation on kind of absurd theories um, that end up winning accolades and awards and really don't reflect what Hinduism is in, in our daily lives. what? Can we, as Hindus, do to protect against these negative portrayals? What do we do when we oftentimes have a knowledge deficit within the community and our own people are not able to recognize fact from fiction? And at the same time, how do we continue to evolve our tradition as it's been intended to um, to address inner community concerns such as inequality and discrimination? all of these things which kind of impact whether we'll see future generations of Hindus who find value in the teachings and traditions.
0: It is necessary to protect the rest of the teachings of the Hinduism. There are a lot of misinterpretations and uh, purposefully or unintentionally or unintentionally, uh, uh, maybe because of the political uh, situation, uh, certain communities or certain, uh, certain uh, uh, people who are against uh, the civilization as Hinduism, Hindus, um, evolving, they, they don't like it. Uh, whatever it be, the cause, it is, and let us not worry about who is causing trouble. Let us worry about how to face this, for which, uh, as believers of the faith, Uh, believers of our tradition of Sanatana Dharma, which is again universal and eternal, we must have that strong belief in that. Without that, we will be just overpowered and, uh, you know, as Gurudev would say, don't become a doormat. You know, Hinduism definitely talks to you about uh, having humility, acceptance, compassion, love, etc. But that does not mean people walk all over you. As Gandhiji put it very clearly that, yes, I keep the the doors and windows of my house open, but I will never allow the wind to blow me away. I am strong in what I believe in. So, um, it is necessary as, uh, as we as believers of this faith of Hinduism, we should make sure that the correct knowledge is passed on to the next generation. Either through the school education, which uh, which generally all the students will learn, or in special education, when the people go to spiritual centers like Chinmaya Mission or Pramesha Mission, wherever, where they learn specifically more details about what Hinduism is all about. So it is necessary as we as leaders or you as uh, believers of Hinduism must make sure that we give the correct interpretation and correct knowledge to people and definitely or unfortunately the uh, media has been giving a negative uh, perspective of the whole thing but we have to we have to fight against it we have to make sure that it is not uh, it is shown uh, what is the right thing is to be shown to the world and also to show that what is negatively portrayed is wrong that uh, complete responsibility lies in each one of us That is the reason why as youth, youth of the Hindu faith must first of all learn correctly what is our belief system, what is our faith, what are our sources, what is the wisdom given to us by Upanishad Gita and other things. Uh, And once they are clear and uh, very determined to understand that, then it is easy for them to counter, it is easy for them to uh, prove um, that the wrong information that is available in the world is is is, is not right. Uh, if we don't equip our youth with that, they will succumb to it.
1: And Chinmay Mission has some wonderful resources uh, to that end.
0: We do, but in a large number of people. You know, see, I, I squarely uh, put the, not the blame, but the responsibility on the parents. They should realize when the children are growing up, what is most important for them to be, become better individual is not karate,
1: right?
0: It's not taekwondo, right? Or what? It is values. <laughs> it is values that they have to learn. Taekwondo and karate. How are you going to use? You learn for four or five years, but that doesn't make you who you are. What makes you who you are? Your thoughts, your understanding, your faith, your knowledge, your wisdom, your values they don't give the importance to that because see i learn taekwondo i go to tennis i go to basketball that makes me able uh, qualified enough to go to university after that of what use is that will me how many of those taekwondo practitioners who practice for 5 years or 6 years in school continue till when they are 40 or 50
1: and certainly you could use things like Taekwondo or karate or piano or dance or whatever lessons you're learning, if you use that as a means to teach the values, right? Where if you tell, you tie in, and I think that's what I enjoyed about my conversations when I was instructing the eighth grade class at my Mission, was how do you relate these ancient stories to your day-to-day? What does what does the suffering that Arjun faces in the Gita have to do with what you might be facing in math class? In that same way, if parents are equipped, they themselves, first of all, have to learn. And that's one of the things that I bring up in conversations when parents come to us saying, well, what do we do? Well, the first thing you have to do is learn yourself. And I think that there's a value, even in our children, seeing that If we have questions, we're humble enough to seek out those answers. And then whatever we find, how do you then relate it to everything that's going on in your life? So if it is Taekwondo and you say you're having trouble with your teacher, well, what lessons are there in the Gita that you can then apply in maybe changing? But that, you know, that takes a a lot of, um, I guess, mindful parenting, I suppose. and, uh, and it, but it's necessary. It, it's our responsibility uh, because not only do we, I think, have a responsibility to the tradition in protecting it, but in those conversations that we have with our children, we're in, in, in a sense preserving it because we're giving them the tools to hopefully be happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. So most of the time it's a peer pressure. It's, it's not that they want to spend money and uh, they know that the child is not going to dance when they're 30. And so much money is spent, so much time is spent, so much this thing is spent. And so, yes, it's a beautiful uh, art and beautiful, uh, you know, method of conveying beautiful ideas. Yes, if somebody is able to pursue that, continue that and able to explain, as you said, into values or the teachings, etc., through that medium is yes, great if they are using it. But just because you want an entry into the college and they will look at what are the things you did and therefore I need to do this. And afterwards, everything collapses. How much my time is spent on that? While these values that are taught and learned by the, kid, by the student when they are young will go all the way up to, up to death. All through their various challenges in life there are ups and downs in life there are various uh, um, uh, success and failures in life it will stand with them they will be able to strong they will be, become strong and face those things with the right understanding that basic foundation if they are given properly uncompromisingly they will never regret and therefore the children will be thankful to the parents I have seen many of those kids who come back to me. I'm so thankful to my parents for insisting that I should learn these things. Now I see how important they are when they become parents, when they are facing stress and strains of life. When you start stress and strain of life, you start uh, fighting with karate uh, to your boss. Okay, come on, you are putting stress putting stress on me. I am going to fight you with karate, or kung fu. Is that what? What a a stupid idea is that? You need inner strength. You need a foundation. If you don't give the, the parents don't give the foundation to the children. They may not be mature enough to understand the relevance of it at that time, when they are 10 or 15 or 16. But when they become bigger, they become adult, they realize, oh, what I learned from Gita, what I learned from Ramayana is what I see relevant now.
1: I think that where um, where Chinmaya mission and other Sambradas that are based in the United States are excelling is making the teachings accessible and you know providing I think the the vehicle, whether it's group study, balbihar, and these types of things that provide opportunities for people to not only you know read but interpret, talk about applying, um, and also build that community so that, you know, oftentimes, you know, we talked earlier about a resistance to share problems, but very often I find that in Gita study group or things like that, people, because you're building that trust and that community, that Got that it. ends up kind of... They come together. That it becomes a place to discuss, um, discuss issues. So... Now I want to turn a little bit to politics, but not directly politics. And so um, my question is about Hindutva. So, you know, we hear a lot about the rise of Hindutva um, vis-a-vis Indian politics these days, and we're also seeing more and more about a so-called rise of American Hindutva. So my question to you is, because I don't think that there is an agreed-upon Uh, definition of Hindutva. How do you define Hindutva?
0: So as I said to you earlier, let us take the word Samatva, just for the sake of understanding. What is Samatva? Being same. It's called Tua when you add being. Being same is Samatva. So when you say Hindutva, being a Hindu is what is Hindutva. Being a Hindu means having the appreciation and uh, acceptance and respect for the values given to us in our scriptures. That is what makes you a Hindu. Not that because I'm born to a Hindu family. Not that because I have a Hindu name. Or not that I, because I'm married to a Hindu. It is not. So when you say Hindu what it really means, do you have complete acceptance and you have respect for what is given to us in our scriptures and traditions, etc. Do you have that? Then yes. Having said this, what is the primary teaching of Hinduism then? That the entire creation is nothing but one single presence expressing as many. Having understood that, People of different faiths and people of different belief systems may be there. But as Hindu, I must always, first and foremost thing I should have is accept everybody in spite of differences. Show compassion, love, peace, togetherness. And that I must always maintain as my value. Whether you believe it or not, whether you want it or not, as Gurudev would say, give love to everybody, splash love on everybody, whether they want it or not, you don't care, you just give. So being a Hindu, being Hindu Thvam means acceptance without any kind of prejudices, acceptance in spite of differences, and giving respect, love, and compassion, and help to everyone, irrespective of what their belief system is. That I call it as Hindutva. With that standpoint, when we look at it, we will have no enemies.
1: My last question for you, your interactions with young second and third generation Hindu Americans across the U.S., what do you feel about the future of Hinduism in America?
0: I I have my own reservations about uh, that particular way of thinking about it.
1: Just because
0: we have more and more temples built in this country, it does not mean more and more people are becoming Hindus. Very often what happens is people who build temples, they become in isolated institutions. And a certain set of people who are uh, interested in building such an institution do that. So, But then after some time, when they disappear from the scene, there's no next generation to take care of that. And this has happened with uh, uh, Christian churches as well. Every other street, they had a a temple built. And then after some time, people who are supporting that particular institution have disappeared. And therefore, that become irrelevant. It becomes a building. Not a place of worship, not a place of uh, coming together. So it is necessary for us not to build buildings, but build communities. We must engage the community in correct understanding, following values, maintaining certain uh, integrity within ourselves, and coming to ourselves as a group of people to serve each other, to serve this uh, uh, country where we are living. And again, don't divide yourself based on language. Don't divide yourself based based upon your castes. We have done that mistake in India. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm very sad to say people who come here also, they continue the same thing. They divide themselves based on language, based upon caste, based upon region. And that is not a healthy sign. Definitely, it's not a healthy sign. It has to cross over communities. It has to cross over the caste system. And if you do the same thing, we are creating another India here with the same problems. Oh, you belong to that caste? Then you don't belong to us. If you belong to that community, you don't belong to us. You belong to, you believe in that kind of a God. Uh, You are a Shaivite, I'm a Vaishnavite. This is happening here. In the, among the educated, among the PhDs. Why? So your question is, the future of Hinduism in U.S. can be beautiful only when we stop dividing ourselves based upon caste, communities, language, region, belief in a particular form of God. Let us recognize that the Hinduism is not stuck to such kind of defined definitions. It has to be across communities, across caste, across belief systems. And then, more importantly, as in those, we should recognize that we have to serve the community here. We must have enough plans, social plans, uh, community uh, programs, which will help the the country in which we are living. We are taking resources from this land, and we are responsible to serve the country where we are living. Definitely, that is important. And I'm sure the youth of uh, Hindu youth who understand this, they are not ready to divide themselves according to caste. And when their own parents, their own elders do that, they don't like it.
1: Right. And and that's that's been my experience as well. That, you know, when you start, if I look at my own children, or, you know, if I think, you know, to 10, 15 years from now, and their children, their linguistic identity any other identity, even their Indian identity, to some extent, becomes less and less uh, relevant for them. But it's those Hindu values that are are kind of informing who they are um, and how they engage the world.
0: That's why I said we have to equip these uh, youngsters in two, two ways. One, their proper understanding of what their belief system is. Not We service others, not against others. No, this is my faith. This is my understanding. This is uh, the Hinduism which accepts differences. Hinduism accepts the various belief system. Hinduism still believes that oneness of God, oneness of everything, and irrespective of differences, we must serve the people. Number one. Number two is let us not divide ourselves based upon caste, based upon communities, based upon language based upon the region when you are coming, where you're coming from, whether you are a Bengali, Christian, I mean uh, you're Maharashtrian or Tamilian, uh, Telugu or Gujarat, whatever, it doesn't matter. We must stay as a single unit. Do not divide based upon anything else. Only then, only then that there is a beautiful future for Hinduism. If you are repeating the same mistake which the people have done in the past in the Hindu in 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 India, whatever be the reason why they have done, if we bring it here, because of the political influence, it has happened in India uh, over a period of time, and we are not to bring that here. And our own division is other's strength. Understand that if we keep on dividing ourselves, oh, you are Vaishnavite, I am a Shaivite. I believe in this temple, I don't go to that temple. Uh, I do belong to this community of uh, Telugus. I do not belong to this community of Tamil. That's weakness and everybody will take advantage
1: of it. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. And if you really enjoyed this episode and want to ensure more of them get made, you can also make a donation to HAF over at hafsite.org slash donate. Thanks again for listening.